Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is John Tarvin, and today I'm going to be discussing a phenomenon that has somewhat accelerated in recent months. But as far as I am aware, not that many people seem to be talking about it. In the wake of the killing of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020, almost a year ago, there have been riots erupting all over the country, reaching their peak in the summer of last year. When talking about these riots, people often tend to focus their attention on the destruction of private property like businesses, and I think for good reason. One of the things, however, that in my mind seems to stand out is the destruction of public property, things like statues, memorials, and other symbols. This news, while inconsequential to most viewers, seems substantial to me because I happen to have thought pretty seriously about this issue in the past. It struck me, and for some reason I feel compelled to ask the question, is it ever right to destroy a symbol, especially when that symbol forms a part of someone's identity? This is the question I want to address in this podcast, and to do it, I think it would be useful to consider a symbol virtually everyone has an opinion on namely the Confederate flag. It is interesting to think of the power a simple symbol can have. One flash says right then and there, quote, this is who I am and this is what I stand for. It is simply mind-boggling to see how passionate some people can become over a mere piece of dyed fabric. Human history is littered with all sorts of symbols there are some heavily steeped in controversy, yet others are ingrained toward a life. There is one simple, however, that captures and has captured the hearts and minds of Americans more than any other, the official battle flag of the Army of Northern Virginia. In order to have a balanced position on the flag, I think it is essential to have the necessary understanding of the flag's usage as it is employed and how it has been in the past in order to navigate the complex web of opinions surrounding this issue. The fact of the matter is that there exists a whole spectrum of views on the flag. Some are claiming that the battle flag, true to its origins, is inherently racist, and anyone who chooses to represent themselves with such an offensive image is either a racist bigot or simply ignorant of history. These people often cite the original motivations of the Confederacy as their primary witness to this position. Others will claim in response to accusations of racism that anyone who is opposed to the flag is trying to take away their constitutional rights and that the opposing side is actually prejudiced because they refuse to listen. Those same individuals also claim that the flag has absolutely no connection to racism. Controversy about whether or not the flag should be allowed to be displayed publicly and the exact meaning of the flag has become an interesting lens through which to examine my initial question. People can become incredibly passionate over mere cloth and distant ideologies. Why is this? Who is right? Should the flag be displayed on public grounds? In recent times, 
it has become quite dangerous for scholars and academics to honestly weigh in on the subject, especially as most fear that they may lose their credibility by being called either a racist or an ideologue by the broader community. This should never be the case for any argument given good faith, and each opposing side of the argument should show decency and respect for the other side's case for the sake of their common pursuit of truth. However, as a citizen of the United States of America, all of us have the legal and constitutional right to freedom of speech, which we ought to use in order to express opinions we might hold. One's ability to use the images and symbols of the former Confederacy is included in that, in that right, but words and actions should be used that respect those with opposing views. Likewise, no one person or group should have the ability to infringe upon the rights of others, especially in their freedom of speech. Thus, total restriction of the flag would be moving, I think, in the wrong direction. Furthermore, one can reasonably see how it could be acceptable to limit the use of the flag on or with public buildings or institutions. These institutions are meant to represent the people they serve and some most definitely do not consider the Confederate battle flag to be a representative of themselves, and probably for good reason. Nevertheless, it is imperative that people not forget that a large group of people do not find the flag to be wrong or disrespectful at all, so it would then be wrong to deny outright the freedom of speech of those, these individuals. One could justifiably take any view on the meaning of the this particular symbol, but it would be unfair to argue univocally that there is only one meaning attached to the flag, an effort either to ban whole cloth or to force others to use the symbol do just that. Now to examine the issue more closely, as well as to lay out a general blueprint for other symbols, I think a closer scrutiny of the battle flag is needed. Appealing to its origin, a large part of the anti-flag side says that the Confederacy is inherently racist, and thus that the flag ought to be banned. It is essential, however, to note that this particular argument is rooted in a lot of historical topics, of which there are a variety of opinions. In order to more fully grasp this issue, I think we really ought to have a glance at the question of what the Confederacy was about. So answering the question of the flag more fully requires a deep dive into history. It is, in a sense, necessary to unfurl the flag, as well as the controversy attached to it, so that it may be dealt with in a more considered light. Admittedly, it is not very difficult to prove the Confederacy's inherent racism if one just looks at the evidence. Just as a sample, here are the two of the most visible pieces of evidence, in my opinion. The following is an excerpt from the Declaration of the Immediate Causes of Secession, published by South Carolina, the first state to secede in the Civil War. Those states have denied the rights of property established in 15 states and recognized in the Constitution. They have denounced as sinful the institution of slavery 
and they encouraged and insisted thousands of our slaves to leave their homes, and those who remain have been incited by emissaries, books, and pictures to serve our insurrection. We, therefore, the people of South Carolina, have solemnly declared that the union heretofore existing between this state and the other states of North America is dissolved. Of course, in the opening line, the rights of property are referring to the, quote, right to own and hold slaves. Furthermore, it has been made crystal clear that South Carolina was leaving the Union for the express purpose of protecting the institution of slavery. All of the secession documents of the different states, along with several other first-hand accounts, all carry a similar message. The Confederacy was formed for the primary purpose of protecting the institution of slavery. The entire government rests on the doctrine of white supremacy. Another blurring piece of evidence for this can be found in the speeches of the Confederate Vice President. Alexander Stevens sums up perfectly the attitude one should take when thinking about the secessionist government. The prevailing ideas entertained by Thomas Jefferson and most of the leading statesmen at the time of the formation of the old Constitution were that the enslavement of the African was in violation of the laws of nature, that it was wrong in principle, socially, morally, and political, politically. Our new government is founded on exactly the opposite idea. Its foundation are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the right man, to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race is his natural and moral condition. Racism has been around almost as long as man himself, and there are many verifiable examples of it throughout history. With regards to America and the Confederacy, the issue is most often framed in terms of white supremacy, aptly defined by the white vice president of the Confederacy. As is often cited, the ideology of white supremacy and the preservation of black slavery was the primary cause of secession of what would soon become the Confederate States of America, which is why so many people today attach sentiments of racism and oppression to the to the flag. It was used by Americans throughout history to justify cruel actions against people of other races. At the bottom of the ladder were African Americans who were enslaved for an extended part of American history. What then is the other side of the story? Probably the most prominent view, second only to that of racism, is that the use of the flag as a symbol is to honor one's ancestors. Immediately after the war, all the way up until the time before the Civil Rights Movement, this was the primary use of the flag. Neo-Confederate, upper-class groups such as the Sons of Confederate Veterans and the United Daughters of the Confederacy purposefully contained the use of the flag to their ceremonies, which honored the living and also the fallen veterans of the Confederate military. 
They were also influential enough to establish laws prohibiting the, quote, desecration of the flag. Muse groups saw it as misuse if any other groups used the flag for any other reason. That included explicitly racist groups such as the KKK. It is important to note that these groups were honoring the soldiers, not necessarily the cause they believed in. These attitudes are still widely present today among many supporters of the flag. I think this second view is probably more historically accurate to the way people both during the war and immediately afterwards actually used the flag, primarily for one reason. The flag that today is often referred to as the Confederate flag was not actually the official flag of the Confederacy. Rather, it was the flag of the Confederacy's premier army, the Army of Northern Virginia. It seemed so much more reasonable then to adopt this second attitude, if historical accuracy is your only concern. Well, what happened during the Civil Rights Movement that changed the better flag so drastically? Well, the answer to this question is more complicated than one might think. In 1948, which is generally considered to be the start of the Civil Rights Movement, a group of Southern Democrats held a national convention at the University of Alabama, which was primarily attended by white college students. They got together to form an anti-desegregation platform in response to growing racial tensions. They dubbed themselves the Dixiecrats, and they adopted the Confederate battle flag as their symbol. This adoption of the flag also happened to coincide with the revival of the KKK, after which the white supremacist terror group adopted the use of the flag to show their opposition to the coming change. These new meanings of the flag were, in fact, overtly racist and not justifiable from a standard modern point of view but they also led to a whole host of other new meanings. Since the Dixiecrats were so heavily reliant on the youth, the flag spread like wildfire across all parts of the South, and a new fad was born that has been the longest lived in history. People who previously had no connection with the Confederacy, nor with the rising civil rights movement from all over the country were going to their local novelty store or convenience market to pick up their own battle flag, bumper sticker, or license plate. Almost overnight, the flag was present in weird places like Michigan, Nevada, and parts of California. As the dam burst on Confederate flag material, culture and heritage groups lost control of the flag. It acquired a new identity as a symbol of rebellion, divorced from the historical context of the Confederacy, Truckers, motorcycle riders, and good old boys, most famously depicted in the popular television show The Dukes of Hazard, gave the flag a new meaning that transcends the South and even the United States. The battle flag permeated its way into everyday American life, and it has stayed there up until it's ta- challenging in our modern times. It has taken on meanings that are harmless to others and no intent of being harmful at anybody. For example, a southern stock car racing organization, NASCAR, although it is not officially tied to the battle flag, has often been associated with it. 
popular driver's popular driver's numbers are often superimposed over the battle flag in order to show their southern heritage. To wrap up this podcast, I want to return to the original question. High, pro- high passion should not merely be dismissed, as they are often based on justifiable grounds. Historian Robert E. Bonner, an expert on how symbols can inspire human beings, summarizes the charged emotions of the controversy perfectly. The heart of the matter in current commemorative struggles is how best to understand the southern past marked by bloodshed. Defenders of the flag continue to monumentalize the blood of soldiers who sacrificed during four of the most dramatic years of American history. Opponents of the Southern Cross have made this emblem into a counter-argument that recalls blood wrung from slaves over a much longer period of time. Both sides share a common concern about the suffering of ancestors, even if they are bitterly divided about which deaths should be publicly recognized. The basic dispute concerns how blood shaped the meaning of colored cloth and whether a flag that still generates strong emotions was purified with glory or stained with guilt. With this in mind, each side should try to compromise upon another, recognizing that the other side is legitimately concerned about something real. Hence, one could conclude that it would be justifiable to restrict the use of the flag in certain specific contexts, but at the same time to tolerate its use in others. After all, by their very nature, the particular meaning of any given symbol is arbitrary. So I think that the question of whether or not it is right to destroy a symbol, depending on the circumstances and the intent behind the one doing the destruction, is fundamentally an open question. Reasonable people can land on either side of the issue. And as there are so many factors to consider, the key to any particular decision is largely contextual and is ultimately up to discussion. So remember, be charitable. This has been John Tarvin. Thanks for listening to this podcast.